0: So in order to support our show, we need the help of some great advertisers, and we want to make sure those advertisers are ones you'll actually want to pay attention to and hear about. But we need to learn a little more about you to make that happen, and I would love to learn more about the audience. So go to PodSurvey, that's P-O-D-S-U-R-V-E-Y, PodSurvey.com slash James, and take a quick totally anonymous survey that will help us get to know you better that way we can bring on advertisers and and even content that you won't want to skip so once you've completed the quick survey you can enter for a chance to win a hundred dollar amazon gift card terms and conditions apply again that's podsurvey.com slash james james thanks for your help this isn't your average business podcast and he's not your average host this is The James Altucher Show on the Stansbury Radio Network. So, Ramit Sethi, I just learned how to say your name. Ramit, how's it going? Pretty good. How are you? Good. Now, Ramit, you were on... I can't even believe this. You were on this podcast two years ago. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't even believe I've been doing this podcast now for two years. <laughs> so, so, you wrote this bestseller I will teach you to be rich you do a ton of courses that by the way, I'm sure you get a lot of nice comments and email. I get emails about how good your courses are. What? So, yeah. Why? I actually get emails. I don't even have one in front of me, but I, w- I should have done that. But I get emails <laughs> saying, oh, uh, Ramit's so authentic, and I took this course, this course, this course. They really worked for me. So you have courses like, well, just are some of the titles of some of your courses. Wait, hold
1: on. Before I tell the title of the courses, people are just randomly emailing you about how great I am? Yeah. like people. Man, this is the life.
0: Yeah. No, it's it's good. Like, I don't— I can't, I, you know what? I'm going to find it right
1: now. Okay. Um, I don't know what the search term I should use is. Glorified. Amazing. Incredible. Handsome. Shall I there continue? Might been,
0: there might have been something like that. I don't know. <laughs> um, I don't know because I get so many emails from you if I search on Ramit. Oh, I, yeah. Uh, it's not, I'm I don't a frequent
1: it. emailer. Right. If you ever sign up for my email list, we're going to become best friends.
0: Well, first off, I just have to thank you. You convinced me, I forgot what year it was. I think it was 2012. You convinced me to start an email list, which has been great because I love posting on general platforms where a lot of people could potentially see it. But when you have that email list, people sign up to say, Hey, I want to see, I really want to see your stuff. So that's been a great group and environment and It's grown really organically since 2012. So thank you for helping my business. You're welcome.
1: I'm so glad you did it. I mean, it's me not starting an email list earlier was one of the biggest mistakes I ever made. And not just financially. that's one of the biggest
0: mistakes you ever made, that's that's pretty good. Well, I mean, mean, there's more. We can talk about all of
1: those. We have a lot of time today. But, you know, there's something special about having an email list. You get to actually write very intimately. You can say stuff. On an email list, even if it's hundreds of thousands of people that you probably wouldn't post. And I just found like people give you totally different responses. Like if I ask someone a question on Twitter, they're going to answer in a certain way. Whereas if I ask them uh, on an email, they're going to answer in a totally different way. They're much more honest on email.
0: Yeah, or they're much more mean on Twitter. Oh, <laughs> or not just Twitter. Like any platform where someone who, who is semi anonymous can can get can take their own personal pain and like unleash it on you. Yeah, it's gonna be they're gonna be nasty. They love it. So if it. someone's like are, are already signed up for your email list, they already said, "Okay, I like this guy. I'm not gonna be nasty to him." Mm-hmm. Like, what are we, we've we've so okay? Again, we two years ago or three years ago we did a video, you, you and I about. uh the hate mail we've gotten. And Master that was a huge piece. video. That's like my most popular video ever. <laughs> so people just wanted to hear the hate mail. So what's like some recent hate mails that you've
1: gotten? Oh, I'm recent. It could be as recent as 12 hours ago. I have oh, so much hate mail.
0: I've only for myself for this podcast, I've only collated stuff from the past 12 hours. <laughs> so and I got, I had to stop going cause it was just
1: was going on. I, I have, I, you know, I'm a systems guy. I love systems, but it's weird. Cause I apply systems to some odd things in my life. Um one of them is categorizing my hate mail. So I have hate mail subcategorizations, critics, um revenge, proved right. That's my favorite where they criticize me and then I ended up being right. Um so Both I just are the best. I love it. It's my favorite thing in the world. Sometimes I just go read through it just for fun. You you sent
0: me one where um well I'll <laughs> let you I'll let you read it but the woman who insisted she didn't sign up for your
1: email Oh list. yeah. This was the best. So this this lady obviously went on vacation. And she had signed up for my email list and then went on vacation. Well, I send a lot of emails. Big mistake. Big don't, mistake. Don't sign up for Ramit's yeah. email list and then go on vacation. Look, I love sending emails. And th- I write them all. They're all original. They're A lot of them are really long. So you sign up for my email list. You're going to like me or not. And that's okay. If you don't like it, unsubscribe. So this lady obviously comes back from vacation because she sends me these frantic emails. They're always in all caps. Unsubscribe me! And it's not just one. She's replying to emails from, like, four weeks ago, and she sends replies to email. One, two, three, four. She sends me 26 unsubscribe requests. Now, of course, there's an unsubscribe button at the bottom of every goddamn email, but I just decided to engage. The rule number one of the internet is don't engage with trolls.
0: Right. And I, that's what I always say, yeah.
1: like, actually. But—, but- our rule is always engage.
0: I don't them. know. If, okay, but if you engage publicly, and I, I want to get back to her email, but if you engage, it's one thing if you engage one-on-one, although I still don't quite agree because I feel like it's not the best use of your time and energy, but maybe you <laughs> it's could... It's definitely Disney. not. But, but if you engage, like, someone who's attacking you on the internet, you have to reset the clock, and it's another 24 hours before they stop harassing
1: you. Oh. First of all, it's interesting you think of it as harassing. I just think, like, these guys have no chance. Like... I would never go into a comedy show and heckle a comedian. That's their job. They're going to win. So if you want to try to heckle me on my own email list, there's no way. You lose. I've seen it all. But what if someone's
0: attacking you, like, on a public forum, not just your personal emails?
1: It doesn't happen that often to Mm me. For some reason, I actually have—even though I make fun of my readers a lot, they're awkward in many ways. They say weird things. They're actually pretty cool. And so— they I don't know I don't get that many public
0: well things. I think I think again overwhelmingly someone and again you and I have no affiliate relationship I'm not making any money off your yeah. courses I actually haven't taken a course, but I read your book and I know all about your courses. All
1: those comments you get from people, you never took one of my courses. <laughs>
0: never took one, but I know just from the comments I get about you that you're overwhelmingly people like your courses, so, yeah. and, they, and you actually help people to get improve their salary, or, and we'll talk about more in a little bit about how to build up habits for success, because you have interesting stuff on that, and I've seen you talk about it, so I know I've actually used some of the material, which you still claim, well... We'll get to that in a second. Okay.
1: Finish with the girl who's okay. Like, so this this lady, it's so good. So she writes me back 26 times, and I decided to engage. So I reply to almost every single one of those emails, and I say all 26. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> let's let's go, let's go to war. So I go, why? Or I do your James Altucher move, which is just the one question, question mark. mark. Right. Oh, and then on the rest, if they respond with the whole thing, I do two question Two question marks. marks. Yes. It's so good. I've gotten to three before they just... Yeah, I've gotten know. to three. So, so um, she starts telling me, I never signed up for this list. Um, you're a scammer, da-da-da-da-da. And I'm, I play really nice. I say, why would you say that? That's really hurtful. I've been writing for 11 years. 98% of my materials free. I'd love to help you. What can we do? She's like... I told you to unsubscribe me. And, of course, I say the unsubscribe button is at the bottom of every single email. Just click it. And we go back and forth, back and forth. And I'm being very polite, but I'm also just engaging. You're waiting. You're kind of like, yes. like a predator yes. you know, waiting for just the prey. Just biding my time. And uh, she continues telling me, uh, this is ridiculous. Just unsubscribe me. I've asked. And I, I just point out there's an unsubscribe link at the bottom of every single of the 26 emails. She then goes, I never signed up for this list. This is BS. So I go over to my email analyst and I go, send me the data on her sign up." Of course, we have her IP address. We have her chart. We have all that, all the data. So this is where I know it's about to go down. And you would think that a CEO of a company has more important things to do You would be right. This is a complete waste of my time, but I love it. So I take that chart, and my analyst helpfully added a little arrow which says, here's the date and time this person double confirmed. So I I decide to go the most delicate route of all. I paste the chart directly into the email. I say, it's really interesting. I pulled your data, and it appears you signed up on this date, and you confirmed, you know, 15 seconds later. I'm very eager to hear your reply. Now, this is after two days of back and forth. We probably have 100 plus emails. And I just wait. I'm like, how is she going to respond to this? How do you respond to incontrovertible truth? And after 100... 100- this is
0: like your Super Bowl. Like, you yes. you got popcorn waiting. You're
1: waiting for, like, the email. There's, you're watching commercials. You're waiting for the email to come back. I just want to know, how do these people think? And... After 150 back-and-forth emails, after the proof that you cannot deny, she just writes back a very simple response. All caps, of course. G-F-Y. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> so she just, and that was it. She That's couldn't it. Handle we never night. spoke again.
0: <laughs> That's crazy. So what, what is that? Is she, like, uh, lonely? Is she mentally ill?
1: Like No, she's not mentally ill. I can tell you that. Do you remember the old Loveline podcast with Dr. Drew and Adam Carolla? Yeah, yeah. so sure. they I didn't
0: c- know that was still that was off or anything. I, I
1: yeah, so one of the things they could tell right away just by listening to someone's voice was, you know, were you abused? And they could just tell from the voice. And they were almost always right as well, because they'd seen it so many times they could tell. It's so kind of a funny... Uh, it's, a, it's a cocktail yeah. party, very bizarre trick. Right. Well, after answering... You know, I get over 2,000 emails a day. I read every single one. I respond to many, although not all. At this point, I can tell very clearly who is... Who's mentally ill, where it's very, very rare. And I don't I don't engage. Uh, you know, I'm not trying to mess around yeah. with that. If it's someone who's just angry at me, I definitely engage Um, If it's someone who has something going on in their life, which is what this lady did, and typically it's just overwhelmed. They're just overwhelmed. They got back. They think that 100 emails a day is a lot. And they're like, ah! And then they take it out on whoever's in front of them, which is whoever's in their inbox. Forgetting, of course, that they signed up and double confirmed. Then I definitely engage. If people say you're scamming, then I want to talk to them because I want to tell them like, hey, 98% of my stuff is free. I don't even let you join if you have credit card debt. So how is this a scam? And once in a while, they actually turn around. Those are actually my favorite emails of all, where people are like, I thought you were, you know, this shady, blah, blah, blah. But wow, I actually read one of your emails, and there's actually some good stuff in here. That doesn't happen as often as I'd like. So you, you can tell after a while. It's like anyone gets a muscle memory about something they're good at. Um, you can kind of tell exactly what's going on in their life, even within one or two sentences of an email. So... so I wanna
0: explore the hate mail thing a little more right. and I but I wanna I'm also really curious, it having an email list for you has been a valuable asset and for many people. Like for instance, if you're an author and you wanna publish a book, they're gonna right now they ask you how big is your email list or how many Twitter followers you have or you know, they wanna know what your kind of I don't know, personal brand assets are. I don't know what to call them. So so for somebody listening, what's the kind of quickest way, and I have my own thoughts on this, but what's the quickest way for them to start building an email list, you know, based on, let's say,
1: content they have in, in their brain that they want to get out there? Well, the, the, there's two parts of it, I think, tools and psychology. So setting up an email list is really simple. It's basically free. It's about 20 bucks a month to start. It's really cheap. If I were going to start today, I would use a tool like aWeber. A-W-E-B-E-R or MailChimp. I have no affiliation with them. I use MailChimp. Yeah. They're fine. It works. It's relatively cheap. No big deal. The second part is the psychology. Um, Most people find it pretty difficult to imagine that anyone would actually want to hear from them. I think you have to be somewhat of a narcissist. That's true. That's that's how I felt when you and I first were talking. Yeah. And you were very popular already. You had a ton of blog readers. I was like, James just stop all this bullshit set up an email list they want to hear from you you have to be somewhat of a narcissist to think that these people want to hear from you you know three four times a week or once a month whatever uh, maybe it says something about me i never had that problem i was like these people need to hear from me but i set up an email list and you know at the bare minimum you send out an email once every two weeks and all it can be is your thoughts how do you get those initial signups okay so if you have uh a website, then you you put a little opt-in form where you've seen this everywhere. Enter your name and email. That's called an opt-in form. Um, You could even just set up through MailChimp or AWeber, you can set up an opt-in form on their servers. And if you have Twitter or Facebook, you can just announce, hey, I'm sending uh, one email every two weeks about my favorite tools. That's it. And, you know, it starts off really slow. I still remember when I had 1,000 subscribers on my email list and it was a huge deal. And it was. I mean, that's a th- that's basically like walking into an auditorium and there's a thousand people who raised their hand and said, I want to hear whatever you have to say. I also remember the days when I would see people unsubscribe and they tell you why they unsubscribe. They're like, fuck you. And it really kind of took me down because this is someone who went out of their way to sign up and then they unsubscribed. No, that always pains me a lot. Like yeah. when people – and,
0: you, you know, I always tell myself this is the vocal minority. Yeah. So most people, you know – if you have like a big number on your list or you have a lot of people commenting favorably, those are the ones you should focus on. But there's always that one person who hits the right button like, oh, James used to be this, He was now he's this, I hate him. And I just don't, I, it does
1: bother me a little bit. It, it bothers me too. I think I've learned, <clears throat> I've learned to turn it, well, I guess one, I just got a little thicker skin. And two, I've learned that it's just the law of internet numbers. So I'll give you an example. Like whenever we have hundreds of thousands of people on our email list and we send millions of emails a month, and these are people like, if you read it, if you join the email list that I will teach you to be rich.com, you're going to see they're, they're very personal. These emails, just like yours, they're very personal. But every time we send an email, we get hundreds of people unsubscribing, literally hundreds. Does it mean that I'm a bad person? Uh, maybe. I don't think so. It's just the law of internet numbers. W- if you sell something online, your conversion rate is generally going to be about 0. 05 to 1%. Ballpark. That's just the law when of you internet. You sell
0: something online to your own list. Yeah, to your own so, list. So the re- that's really where the value of the list ultimately comes in when you when you have it big enough that you're able to sell to that list. Because well, those
1: people like your stuff. That's that's one type of value. So financial value is definitely true. And an email list is absolutely unrivaled in terms of what you can achieve financially. But there's also other value. Like if I go to any city, I can geo-target who's in that city. And I can be like, hey, does anyone want to do a meetup? Can anyone recommend the best restaurants? That's friends That's in every city in the world forever. That's an asset. It's also like I can add value to them. So they've allowed me into their – basically into their family room. I can send them emails whenever I want. They've given me that permission. That means I can recommend my favorite whatever. And I like I've written about you before. So I can help my friends – if I like what they're doing, I can get them exposure to like 500,000 people overnight. That's an asset as well. So right. money is a part of it, but I feel like that's that's a pretty straightforward one. There are a lot of more interesting benefits as well.
0: Right. So, I mean, one other way to potentially build the email list, I, I, I'm curious if you agree with this, write something for free. Like, you. I noticed you never wrote... You had this New York Times bestseller, this great book, and then you never wrote a book again because
1: obviously you can't make money writing books even if it's a quote-unquote bestseller. Wait a minute, James. Everyone tells me uh, you're just writing a book on how to get rich so that you get rich. And I'm like, do you understand the economics of book writing? I mean,
0: I've seen people who have sold millions of copies of books who, you know, after... Taxes, the agent take, the way the advances are spread out, and the way the publisher takes it back. Like these people make a living, but I've have yet to see. Unless it's like I've not met this person, but unless it's like a John
1: Grisham or something, you don't get rich writing Love John books. Grisham. No, you're right. You don't. It's uh, so it's kind of a one of those just phrases people throw around. You're writing a book on how to get rich to get rich or whatever, but it. Right. You're right. One of the best ways to build an email list is to write stuff for free. I wrote for free for years before I even realized I should create an email list. That's what I was talking about when I said one of my biggest mistakes. Right. Um, I should have done that earlier. I should have done it on day one. Um, the other thing I used to do, I used to give more talks and I actually tested this a lot. I wanted to figure out, you know, these people got out of their chairs, came to some auditorium or classroom and attended one of my talks. Usually they were free cause I didn't know how to charge for speaking back then, <laughs> but, um, I tried to figure out how to get those people who were attending my talks to join my email list. And so the first thing I tried was I would, on the last slide, I would say, go to this URL and sign up. And I thought, of course they're going to. They sat through an hour of my talk. Like less than 10% did. So that kind of opened my eyes because I'm like, I thought they liked me. But it turns out the law of numbers says that just about 10% of people will sign up. Hmm. That's it. It doesn't matter how good your talk was. 10%. So I started trying all these different things. The thing that ended up working the absolute best was I had multiple copies of a sign-up sheet printed out. And I would have an assistant hand it out at 55 minutes into my talk. 55 out of 60. So you know that the people who stayed that long love you. But people are lazy and they don't want to go to some URL. So there was a handout sheet. It's the only thing you should write on it is please enter your email address. Please write legibly because people don't know how to write anymore. And I would get back these sheets full of email addresses, and I would add them to my email list. That took the conversion. You
0: didn't allow that? Because there's there's all sorts of rules by adding people to your email list. Well, they have to
1: double confirm. So once they would then get an email that says, thanks for joining my list, click here to confirm. So double opt-in. And that number went from 10% of people signing up to like 95%. Wow. It's amazing. So just these little tests, and it's not just for getting email signups. You can do these tests everywhere in your life. How do you introduce yourself? Um, what do you talk about when you talk to somebody in the elevator? All right, what do you talk about when you
0: talk to, uh, to someone in the elevator?
1: Well, the better one is the introduction. So uh-huh. people used to ask me, what What do you do? God, I used to say, you know, I'm a writer. And then everyone's like, oh, my cousin's son is a writer, too. I'm like, your cousin's son's unemployed. He's not a writer. So I started testing different approaches, and uh, the best one is, I'm an author. Uh. And they're like, oh, an author? Really? (laughs) And they start leaning in. Oh, what kind of books do you write? And then I just mess with them. I tell them I write erotic fiction. I tell them all this stuff. Whatever, you know, strikes my fancy. But- You can get people super interested in you just in the way you introduce yourself. And most people have never tried it.
0: I think what's interesting there, though, is the notion of testing. So you do in both cases, you just described the email list one and the introducing yourself. It's like you try different approaches. You gauge the reaction. I don't know if you kind of systematically did it, but then you determine what was the best. And I think people underestimate the power of testing in their lives. So like, for instance... Let's say I'm building my email list. I'll usually do some giveaway. Like I'll write a I'll write a whole new book and give it away for free if people sign up. But I'll test the language and the covers and things like that on with Facebook ads. Mm-hmm. Facebook ads you can do a whole ad and get significant results with just five to ten dollars. Oh, for covers and titles. So for my book, Choose Yourself. I don't know if you know this. Um, my initial title was called The Choose Yourself Era. And, but I kept, whenever I said it out loud, it would sound like the choose yourself error. Uh And, uh, so I decided, okay, I'm going to come up with like five titles and put up Facebook ads for each. you And I'll just measure the clicks. The clicks went nowhere, but I could measure the clicks. So I had the choose yourself error, Error. I had choose yourself. I had pick yourself. I had a couple others. Uh, I think both Tucker Max and Ryan Holiday threw in some title suggestions, and I, we threw up all of them. And uh, choose yourself one by a huge long shot. Pick yourself, which was Tucker's idea, was number two, and the choose yourself era was number three. And I think um, Ryan had something like you know make millions, be happy, whatever, and
1: uh, uh, that came in like distant tenth or whatever. So sad, Ryan. <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty good though. I mean, testing can be as sophisticated as what you just said. And it only costs, like, let's say $20. Yeah. Or it can be as simple as trying out the way, you know, you talk to someone at a bar. Um, There's a million different things you can do. So... I love that idea. I love it. And it can make major impacts in your life. After a while, it just becomes more intuitive. It's almost like
0: you can do a course, like all the different things uh, you could be testing in your uh-huh. life. So there's all sorts of stuff like diet, relationships, um, you know, or meeting someone out there or small talk at a party. Huge. Um, all business stuff, talking to your, your employer, talking
1: to you know, doing interviews. Testing is like everything. It's everything. Unfortunately, nobody really cares. Um, It's a weird sub-segment of people who actually want to test it. Most people I've discovered just want the right answer. So, you know, I'll give you an example. Um, We have a course on salary negotiation and finding a dream job. And Oh, yeah. I was always curious about your course on
0: salary negotiation. It's basically, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, it's how to improve your salary by $1,000.
1: No, 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 no. I don't care about $1,000. These people use this stuff and they get a $25,000 raise. Like it happens routinely. Um, people get like, I just met one of my readers the other day. He's like, oh, I've used dream job three times. I've quadrupled my salary in three years. I don't, a thousand dollars for jobs is ridiculous. You should be negotiating way more. So the reason that I started this stuff was, um, actually goes back to testing. When I was a student at Stanford, um, we went through the recruiting process. Oh, very fancy. You had to, <laughs> you had to drop that. No, I, I'll i tell you why. You know what? It's funny you mentioned that. Um, Did people, you test that? <laughs> I, people come to the site and it's a site called I Will Teach You To Be Rich. And they're like, they already have their guard up. Already. They're right. like, this fucking guy. And so you'll see pretty quickly there's a place somewhere on there which says, you know, graduated from Stanford. That's not for my enormous ego. Okay, it's not. It's the fact that You have to give a credibility marker when you have a site called I Will Teach You To Be Rich. And ironically, I was sober when I picked that name. I can't believe I did. But, um, I mean, there's something to it. Whether or not, like, you agree with educational institution, the fact is, if someone has been on the Today Show and they post a picture of it, that's credibility. Right. And so, I mean, look, it's a little ostentatious for me, but, I mean, that's just that's just the way the world works. I learned.
0: Well, I mean, social proof, Yeah, you know, some kind of testimonial or validation is critical for any sort of sales. So that was what you were able to use. Yeah.
1: So anyway, I, we went through the recruiting process and it was pretty easy. They would basically bring companies there and you just go interview. It's like, okay, here's a job. Um, but I had a group of a small group of friends where we like just for some reason loved interviewing and we would go interview with these companies, many of which we weren't particularly interested in just to figure out how we could become the best interviewers of all. And so we'd come back to the dining hall and we'd talk about our answers. What'd you say when they asked you, you know, what's the most difficult, uh, or what's your biggest weakness? And we would share our answers and we would try to figure out, you know, what was, it was just a weird testing thing we had. So by the end I got pretty good at interviewing and I could basically walk in and, you know, nail the interview. What's the key? Um, The key is it's all the boring things you think it's preparation it's preparation is so underrated when you go in and they say tell me about yourself that's not an invitation to start saying i was born under a palm tree and uh, nobody cares right. you need to be super crisp so if you were to ask me that say tell me about yourself i would say something like you know um i've always been interested in technology and psychology that's led into me creating Uh, a site around personal finance. But ultimately, I realized I was most interested in how to get people to change. And so since then, I've built a site, written a New York Times bestselling book, and I write for over a million people a year on psychology and behavioral change. Uh, Count me in. Super crisp, right? Right. Those those answers, how crisp you are, how succinct, and of course, how value-added you are, that's massive. So we learned all these things, and I realized that even my friends in school didn't know most of these things. It wasn't like... Oh, everybody who goes to a certain college knows. It's just this weird subgroup of friends there. So I started teaching my own friends. And I was like, maybe it's just me. Maybe I can just get these jobs. No, I proved it out with some of my friends. And I looked around and nobody was really talking about this. Nobody. Because... It's more sexy to talk about passive income and all that stuff, which I'm happy to talk about. But, like, finding a job, including exactly what words to say when you go into an interview or a negotiation, or even how to find your dream job. What do you mean,
0: uh, what words you use? Are there, like, special words yes. that trigger something totally. for employers?
1: Okay, so, like, um, I brought in one of the people who actually taught me salary negotiation, and we did a mock negotiation on video. Um, and I'll tell you why. Because... Most of the job, most of any advice out there, money, financial, whatever, it's super vague. And you can tell if someone is really good at what they do by how specific they get. So, for example, um, most books on personal finance, they're just like, keep a budget, stop spending money on lattes, get a good bank. I was like, fuck that. Here's the best bank to use. Here's their website. Here's the account to sign up for. Here's the shittiest bank to use. I'll tell you right now. Um, bank of America, if you use them, you're asking to be abused. Basically, any of the big banks, Okay. And people were like, wow, this guy doesn't pull any punches. He's telling exactly what the best and the worst are. That shows that someone knows what they're talking about. So with salary negotiation, most people say, be confident, have an alternative offer, BATNA, this and that. I said, let's actually do negotiations. And I brought students into my studio and I pretended to be the mean hiring manager or the really nice pushover, and I had them negotiate with me, and then I coached them over and over, and you could see the before and after. And you could see the words they use. So for example, if a manager says, um, like, let's say you offered me 60000 and I actually think that I should be getting paid $68,000. i am not going to say, no, that's ridiculous, I'm out of here. That's actually what a lot of they get defensive. What you could say is something like this. You could say, You know, first of all, I appreciate it, and I'm really eager to get started here. Um, After talking to Joe and Joan, um, I know that I can make a big impact, and I know that I have a lot to learn. I actually think we're in the right ballpark, but based on the comps and based on my experience, um, the number that I would be more comfortable with would be 66,000. Boom. So a lot of stuff went into that simple thing. Number one, I wasn't adversarial. It was about us. I'm eager. I'm excited, too, based on the comps. I didn't just walk in out of the blue and pick a number. I had the comps. I slid those across the table.
0: So I think a lot of people say, if they're not being totally confrontational, they might kind of say in a um, almost passive way, "Eh, you know, can we make it 66, you
1: know, or something like that. It's horrible. People, it's really bad. Um, It's okay to negotiate. It's okay to ask for value if you can justify why. And here's the most interesting part. Your manager will actually respect you more if you negotiate and if you're worth it. People, they don't get this. They want to pay more for the best. And you can just look at any luxury good. People want to pay more for the best. They're not stupid. They actually want to pay more. Um, And there have been numerous studies. It's so funny that most people live in a world where saving money on everything is the ultimate value. I don't believe in that.
0: You know, it's really interesting you say that because I've been thinking of this idea that people think of money in... What, I call, what I'm what i gonna call dimensions. So let's say a first dimensional view of money is that if something costs a lot, it's a bad deal, and if something costs little, it's a good deal. So that's the first dimension. So they don't think of value at all. That's how I was raised. Right, and I think most people raise that. Like, if you're gonna spend a lot of money on rent or on a piece of clothing, People say, oh, I would never spend that um, without thinking that, oh, but I just got the, the best apartment in New York. I just got like a the, the coat that's waterproof and this and that and the other thing. And you talk about this in one of your posts where you describe basically is is. Is a luxury functional? Because mm. then that adds to the second dimension of, you know, how you should look at things. And then there's a third dimension. Am I going to have a great experience with with the money I'm spending? And then maybe there's a, a fourth dimension where is this money I spend going to generate money for me? So I think there's kind of d- dimensions of money. and because But I see it all the time from people who don't have money or, or don't. I don't want to act like, you know, I'm, I'm not lecturing here. But I think people who don't seem to seem to always get themselves in situations and I was like this as well when I was always going broke it's because I was thinking just one dimensionally about money so I was just throwing money away and or trying to save in the wrong places like I didn't really understand the multi-dimensionality of money when did you start to realize that there was another dimension beyond the first one I think only fairly recently because I was always good at like making money and then I would instantly lose it. So I would make millions and millions of dollars selling businesses, building businesses. I was great at like, you know, building relationships with clients and so on, but I just knew nothing about kind of the subtleties of money. And I would say it's only in the past six years that I've kind of figured this out for myself. Mm.
1: I mean, most of us are raised in a world of that first dimension of if, if it costs less, it's better. And if it costs more, you're getting ripped off. Right. I remember going um, to a gym with my parents when I was a kid. Uh, it's funny because Indian people don't usually go to gyms. Anyway, <laughs> we went to a gym and there's those glass, they have the glass doors with the, um, the trainer, the people you sign up, like the membership people. And I asked my mom, who are those people behind the glass doors? And she's like, don't worry about that. Those are just those trainers. They're here to take your money. And... That's a very funny way to think about it, right? Because if you think about a trainer, maybe they're $75 an hour or $100 an hour. That's a lot of money, no doubt. But someone who can afford $100 an hour, just as a general rule, is probably not that stupid. They probably know something. But instead of me saying, hey, what What does that person know that I don't? I just thought, they're stupid. I could learn the same thing from a book for free. I'm saving $75 an hour. I'm the greatest. And I learned that, I mean, that was basically me through my entire adolescence. And I think a lot of us are raised like that to think that, oh, some guy who pays uh, X thousand dollars for a first class ticket, what a stupid idiot. We're both going to the same place. We're both going to walk off the plane. I didn't realize those dimensions. Um, and I think most of us aren't surrounded with people who push us to think that way. Most of us are raised in the first dimension and we pass it on to our to right. our children. And that's how life goes on.
0: Well, it's funny because... Um, You know, I was thinking about this a lot with I wish I knew this earlier because what would end up happening was I I realized you never can go broke spending money. Which is a weird thing to say because people do go broke spending money. But the way I would always go broke is by making really bad, enormous investments. So I would not have a problem with uh, not understand, like, I would not understand why I was making all these bad investments. I would never analyze my investment approach. Cause I figured, okay, this is how you make some more money. But, but then I would be very, uh, I would be very afraid to spend money, but never once did I go broke spending money. Like people think, oh, you must've like. Bought this, bought that, you know, did all these things. Nope, it never, and I never
1: went broke on just spending money. I was always making bad investments. That's interesting, but that's pretty unusual, don't you think? I mean, most people who, like, I have many friends who are six figure earners and they live check to check. And I'm not exaggerating; they live paycheck to paycheck. And but that's because
0: I think I think a six figure earner, I think being an earner yeah. is a, is a hard thing. Like, I think. Uh, and I had this conversation with Nassim Taleb uh, on this podcast. You have to have some kind of volatility in your earnings. So 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 your earnings show you some feedback. Uh, so when you don't make money, you're doing something wrong and you have to analyze what that means. And when you are making money or you're making more money, that's good feedback for what you're doing. The steady paycheck, you know, Nassim Taleb says, the steady paycheck, you know, three addictions in life, you know, heroin, I forgot a second one and the steady paycheck because you get that steady paycheck for five years and then bam,
1: you're cut off zero. If I made a simple rule for myself, I had a job. I was a co-founder of a company, but at the same time, my business was taking off. I told myself, look, Remy, stop driving yourself crazy thinking about whether you should leave or not. And I said, I will only consider leaving and going to do my own thing if this business earns more than my paycheck three months in a row. So that was just a simple heuristic, a simple rule I used that allowed me to stop agitating over it in my head, and then just wait until the results came in. That way, once I decide, made the decision, I knew that I was financially going to be fine, and it made it a lot easier to go off. That's
0: interesting because with my first business, um, I had a, I didn't, I should have used a heuristic like that. Instead, I kind of just put my thumb in the air and yeah. s- saw where the wind was blowing all the time, and it took me eighteen months to jump from my full-time job to my side business and became then it became a good business because I was able to devote full-time to it. But I should have done it much sooner. But that's not...
1: Mine took me a similar amount of time too. Mm. I I mean, I think there's actually something to be said for being a little bit more spontaneous. Uh, I think we all have our strengths and weaknesses. Mine might be... One of my many weaknesses would be sometimes being a little bit too cerebral and, like, planning it out. But being conservative, though,
0: I th- and, and mitigating risk, yeah. I think, is key to being a – success. like, people think entrepreneurship is about taking
1: risks, and I, I don't – I think it's about mitigating risks. I agree. It, that's a common misconception. People think, oh, it's so crazy. Because from the outside, it does look crazy. James, you left your high-paying job to go do this crazy thing. But there's a lot of subtle mitigation happening that's not really talked about or recognized. Same thing with us in our business. Like, we'll make some huge bets, but most of the time, we're just, it's like playing poker. You're just being very subtle about it and being conservative. In the well, moment.
0: that's where the testing comes in. Boom. You know, and you could start off small and see how it
1: goes. Like, any marketing campaign should be tested. We, so, we run, oh, at any given time, we're running over 10 tests. And those might be simple A B tests on our homepage. Um, they might be year long longitudinal price tests. Who knows? And the truth is most of them don't pay out at all. Most of them fail, like the vast majority. But you have to be comfortable creating a lot of garbage in order to find the gem.
0: Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, um, I have a friend who's selling a, a product on Amazon, and she's trying to decide whether to include a free thing with her product or not. And I said, why don't you, with the first batch you get, take half and do the free item and with the other, which costs you money. So there's, you know, there's some, you know, P to be taking, to, to consider. And then with the other half, don't include the free item and just see where you make more profit. And she's like, Oh yeah, that's a good idea. So we'll see. But I
1: think in general, people should think in terms of testing. Yeah. There's this question that I get a lot from students. Should I do this or that? And it always makes me think back to when I was in high school and I was applying to colleges and when you get the application... I'm going to steal that line, by the way, as a blog post. Should I do this or that? Okay. Like, that's a good line. <laughs> good. And the, the, there's an FAQ on these college applications. And it says, as if the student is writing it, should I take the easy class and get an A, or should I take the tough class and get a B? And the colleges, I love how ballsy they were in their answer. They said, as a general rule, we encourage you to take the most challenging class that you can, but just so you know, most of our students who are accepted here take the most challenging class and get an A. In other words, yes and yes. Right. Stop thinking yes or that. It's yes and yes. Yes, you should do that. And you should do that. And I love that example about your Amazon thing. Yes, you should sell it and you should test it without. Do right. both. Right. People don't
0: understand the do both. But when, once they hear it, it's like a, a, like a light yeah. shines. Like they say, oh, yeah, why? Of course I should do it that way. Mm-hmm. So, so I want to read, actually, I want to get back to the hate mails for a second, and then we still have to talk about Habits for Success, because you've written about that recently. I thought it was brilliant. But um, you once sent me um, a comment that appeared in your either emails, or this is on your this is a spam on your YouTube channel, yeah. But and I won't say this guy's name, but he actually writes to almost everybody who comes on my podcast <laughs> and says almost the same thing, or, or even worse. So I feel, I'm not going to say his name because I feel bad for him, and... This this is a clear case of mental illness, okay. but this is the kind of uh, emails I get as opposed to, like, unsubscribing. <laughs> so this guy, this guy says, and he, said it, he sent it to you twice, I see. He sent me one that was five days apart. So James Altucher is the biggest phony on the planet. This man has connections with intelligence. He's engaged in activities that violate the Nuremberg Code. My brain is hooked up to computers and AI by James Altucher, Twitter, and Google. James Altucher just laughs. He is an absolute psychopath. So, you know, that's my, that's my versions of hate mail. Did you appreciate that gift that I sent you? Uh, the, the, this email? Yes. Cause I, it's like constant content, uh, I mean, how does that
1: feel to have someone following you around the internet?
0: At first, I thought I was, I wanted to, at first, my initial instinct, which is bad, of course, is to argue, like, how could, but then you realize someone's mentally ill, and then I get a little worried. Yeah. Because I've had, I mean, I just had this past weekend, someone show up. Uh, at my house upstate looking for me. What? Really? (laughs) Yeah. yeah. And I don't even know how they got my address or anything. So, and, uh, you know, my kids were there. It was, you know. That's scary.
1: Yeah, that's scary. Have you ever had anyone just like show up? Um, No, I have an address that goes to a UPS box on some of my emails. And um, the craziest, I mean, some people have showed up once in a while and it's like a UPS store. One guy... Um, I used to have my phone number, which went to a Google Voice. It used to be at the bottom of every email. And so some guy left me a voicemail. And it was like, hi, I'm driving over from Sacramento. I'm a big fan, just wanted to say hello. And then he left like six voicemails in the next three hours. And they became increasingly frantic. He's like, hey, man, just got here, realized it's a UPS box. I'm sure your office is somewhere around. Can we meet? Hey, man. I would love to talk to you. I called my wife and she told me not to come home until I meet you because you went all the way. And I was like, oh, my God, this is crazy. You know, and I did. what am I going to say? I was across the country in New York. So I don't know. It's kind of funny, but it's also kind of like. Yeah, you got to be
0: careful. Like I've had emails. uh, There's one person who constantly emails me claiming that he's my son. Okay. Is that true? No. (laughs) By the way, (laughs) we're a completely different ethnic background as well. (laughs) Like so I have no idea like where he – you couldn't be a more distant ethnic background for me, so I won't describe the ethnic background, but it's not me um
1: and Jeez, uh, you always want an Indian son be honest
0: <laughs> but uh but i get I get stuff like that or I wanted to actually there's one other first well, oh, I just want to mention a couple from the past um few days or the past day uh so I wrote a post yesterday about uh and it's on LinkedIn right now uh, about. Kind of living a nomadic lifestyle. I kind of lived out of Airbnbs for the past two years. And um, this guy says, um, and he's the CEO of a company called Creative Healthcare. He says, I stopped reading this halfway through because I did not understand the point. I only hope you are buying deodorant and that you've and that you recognize that not having any attachments means that your relationships, assuming you really have any, will be shallow. (laughs) So I like when people like diagnose me that's a real those were a lot of subtle digs right like that was very nuanced right right like need to wear deodorant and uh my relationships are gonna be shallow and but i've had another one it's like i had one where um this one was on my facebook page and so many people commented in response to her that eventually she deleted her own comment which deleted all the responses oh. so i don't remember it exactly but she basically said you know um, you sound really, you know, again, shallow, and I only hope you're taking lithium. So, like, I really... Why,
1: why are all these people diagnosing you with this stuff?
0: Yeah, I don't know. It's like it's like every professional doctor has decided to become a YouTube spammer. <laughs> <laughs> so, this is, they're in between patients. Let's just, like, spam on James Aldricher's, like, videos <laughs> or podcasts or whatever. So, I don't know. Like, there is this need, I think, people project their own... Maybe, maybe this person needed lithium. I don't know. I, I don't want to say that, but... People pretend to project some aspects of their own personality onto whoever is in
1: front of them, like you were saying earlier. Yeah. Well, I think this is why you and I find it so fascinating. Because I think a lot of people are like, why do these two guys keep talking about hate mail? Why? It is fascinating, though, because it, it's funny. It's, fa- <laughs> And you have to have a certain personality to not—like, to engage. Like, you have to be kind of a weirdo. Here, here's why I think it's fascinating. Number one, I think that the biggest surprise I've had with the hate mail I get is when I reply to people— and I'm usually pretty nice when I reply, um, just because I, I don't know. So the biggest surprise I have is most people are shocked that they hear back from me, like shocked.
0: Yeah, and, no, I agree. When I respond, it's almost as if you're pointing a mirror at them and saying, "Hey, look, you're human, also. Like, yes, act like that's a it. human."
1: And and so it's almost like sh- shaking them or jolting them out of this weird stupor. And a lot of them go, "Oh my god, I didn't know anyone would actually read this." Which raises the question, why the hell are you sending this anyway? Right. But that's sort of a longer discussion, right? If you're sending an email to someone where you don't even think they're going to read it and you're pouring out whatever emotion, usually it's vitriol, whatever. What the hell's going on? And so when someone actually says, hey, man, I'm curious why you wrote that. Like I, uh, you know, I send each of these emails. I take a lot of time to do it. What can I help you with? It's very shocking to see their reaction.
0: Yeah, no. I'm gonna okay. I'm gonna try it for the next day or so. I'm going to respond to hate comments. But then, what
1: happens? I, f- I just feel like then you're rewarding the haters somehow. Well, you. So that's a good. That's a good point. And sometimes, like people just want to be heard. But other times, if they really are like negative or they're saying things untruthful, then you can bring the hammer down. Right. That's all right too. Like I said, you're never going to beat a comedian at heckling. So if they want to play, they can play. But I don't know. The biggest reason I love it is just as a student of human psychology, I don't have that many friends who would send angry emails to some random guy online. So I actually get to meet these people every day and talk to them and figure out what's going on. That to me is very interesting. Like, have you ever
0: gone into someone else's youtube channel or youtube video and actually made any comment at all positive or negative oh never (laughs) right so so that's the cause. and then on popular videos the comments scroll by so quickly anyway no one is going to read the comment like there's no point yeah and then just on like you know like i've had videos of you know i put up videos of my daughters in dance class and then you have like all these creepy comments like who makes all these who's just
1: sitting around like making these comments so this is the other thing it's fun and it's funny but you can also get really cynical. And I've learned that. And I have to sometimes drag myself away from the edge of some of this negativity that comes in. And you may have a thick skin, but I've also realized this minority is a really, it's a vocal minority, but it's a teeny minority. And so- It is teeny, although they'll claim they're not. They're saying- Everyone thinks this. Yeah, they'll say if it's only these three, it must be hundreds of these, you know. It, It really is a tiny minority. And I can tell you just based on- The amount of negative emails I get, it's like a fraction of 1%, a teeny Mm. fraction. Um, Based on the number of people who ask for a refund, that's a teeny fraction as well. And so I think you can decide to spend your life focusing on the negative or you can actually spend more time on the people who like you. There are like hundreds of thousands of people on my email list. They gave me permission to write to them. They like hearing from me. I love writing to them. And so I have to remember, those are the people who I'm writing for. It's like my friends. My friends are not going to leave negative, weird comments on YouTube. They're actually like, hey, I want to I start an online business. How do I do it? And they're the ones who are going to buy. They're the ones who are going to use it. The negative people, It's here's a crazy thing. I used to keep track of all the negative people who wrote about me. I would keep it in a private bookmark collection. And is that weird? I don't know. So I yes. went back. Okay. So then, then this is even weirder. So then like five years later. Oh, this is great. I went back. And I have all those links. They're still there. They're in my private bookmark collection. And I went back and looked up every single one of these. I just clicked it. And like 90% of those blogs are gone. And they wrote really, I mean, they wrote on their own personal blog about me, mean stuff. They're all gone. And it's just a great reminder that it's hard to be negative for that long. It really is. It, It takes a lot of work. And. If you're going to put in a lot of work, why not just be positive and try to improve yourself, improve your relationship, make more money, whatever. That's the people who last. And you go back and look at those people, their blogs are still there and they're still kicking.
0: Well, let's talk talk about that because you talk a lot about success, what it takes to be successful, and so on. And you have tons of stories and examples. And what I gather from a lot of it is that – and this is what I see – in my own life than the people I know. So let's say there's some category of people who are successful, some who are not so successful. And I really see the ones who are not so successful, they don't understand almost kind of the internal mechanics of success. So like you can't go out, you can't sit around talking about it all the time. You actually have to do a lot of things. And also you can't, like let's say they go for a customer or they go for a deal and they don't get it. They get disappointed and frustrated. and They're like, oh, this is not for me. I'm not good at this. When the reality is, you kind of have to go, and I was just having this conversation with someone the other day, you kind of have to go for three opportunities a day to have one success, you know, maybe that year. So, like, that requires real hustling. But then hustling requires all these other mini habits. You know, how do you go for three opportunities a day? Um, you know, there's all these mini habits around that. So, like, like you, you've written about this. Like, what are some of these mini habits? Like, how how can people develop them?
1: It's It's so true what you said about everything being connected. Like, just think about the fact that if you want to hustle, if you want to reach out to three potential clients a day, that means you have to be well-rested. That means you have to have gone to sleep at the right time last night. Right. Which means you have to have your internal logistics of your house managed so you ate dinner at the right time. I mean, it's very complicated. It's like when I first started out in business and I would study these people who had much bigger businesses than I did. And I bought all their products and books and stuff. And they would have these process maps. It's like... uh, Different parts of their business visually mapped out with bubbles and stuff. And it's like customer service. And there would be all these satellites coming out from it. And these process maps were like five pages long. They were like massive. And I just looked at it and I was totally overwhelmed. Like there's no way I could... I don't even have one of these. And they have 62 bubbles in their process map. And if I had just stopped and looked at that page, that five-page document, I would have never done anything. Instead, I was like, all right, let me just let me just try to write something on my blog today. And then, then I learned a little bit about setting up an email list. And then I learned a little bit about this. And eventually, you know, I did have a customer service group and all this stuff. But if I had just sat back and looked up, it's like standing in Times Square and looking up at those skyscrapers. How am I ever going to build one of those? Well, you're not, you're going to start off by walking in the lobby, you know, and that's what you're going to do on day one. Um, and I don't think I don't think that that's taught as much. There's a lot of press about, uh, the one, you know, the sort of the, the genius, the lone genius who does it alone and overnight success. And you and I both talk a lot about how that's not true. Like I've been writing my site for over 11 years. Um, there's posts on there that are not good. My videos, if you go to my YouTube channel, I kept all my shitty videos because I wanted people to see, I didn't look good. My video quality wasn't good. I didn't know anything about lighting. I had double chins in all those videos. It looks Horrible. But you can see the improvement from there to now. And I think if I had started off thinking I need to have this camera crew and fly them in and multiple HD videos and all that, no, I wouldn't. I mean, that's that's a lot of stuff. You don't need that. Um, I think oftentimes starting off, getting started once and then doing it consistently can be – I mean, that's the way to go. So we could talk more about details, what does a day look like, all that stuff, whatever you think.
0: Well, just what do you think is like one, one or two or three – success habits that you've incorporated into your life that you think people sort of miss most often
1: well i had a woman once email me and i had asked people what is something you claim you want to do and you don't do and she said i want to go for a run three times a week and i wrote her and said why don't you just go once a week and you know what her response was she said why would i go for a run once a week that doesn't do anything and I thought, that's so interesting. She'd rather dream about going for a run three times a week than actually start once a week. Right. So one of the key... You know, you know I, I want to just add to that. It's like
0: one time I was having a conversation with somebody who said he wanted to do YouTube videos. He wanted to create very creative YouTube videos, but he didn't have the camera equipment. And I'm like, well, show me your phone for a second. So he had like the latest iPhone. And I said, this... Your iPhone has a video camera in it that's already higher quality. Like, the actual output of the iPhone camera is higher quality than what than the compressed YouTube videos that are out there. So you don't really, to make good content, you don't need, like, to be, you know, writing uh, on, at the sunset in Paris or whatever. <laughs> you know, you just need to sit down and, like, type a few sentences. Or, yeah. you know, to make a video or to, to take a photograph now, you just need to, like, use your, your phone camera.
1: Yeah, but but that's interesting, right? Most people would try to make a tool-based argument or a tactical argument. They're like, oh, you can use this camera because the megapixels are great and da-da-da. Guys, it's not a tools problem for those people. It's a psychological issue. It's a mental barrier. Um, that I need to have X, Y, Z before I can really sit down and do this. I need to have the best feather pen. I need to have the right equipment. And then you just think about the pros. Think about Andre Agassi. You know, give him the oldest tennis racket in the world. He's still going to beat your ass at tennis. The tools come later. You first start by just building the craft. So that's one thing. Um, You know, I was working, I got a trainer. And that's another key success principle for me, which was to pay for value. And for me, you can tell a lot about someone by their calendar and their spending. And so people might claim, oh, health is important to me. Show me your spending and show me your calendar. And I want to see how much time and money do you spend on your health? And that will tell me point blank how important it truly is to you. People also say relationships are important to me. Okay, let's look at your spending and let's look at your calendar. Do you buy gifts? Do you travel to them? Do you fly your parents out to you? Whatever. doesn't have to be a lot of money. It could just be time as well. Do you go over for dinner two times a week to see your family? Or or, or like your siblings or parents? Do you do you sit down for dinner with your family every night? Um. That is a very stark way of presenting it, and so anyway, back to the trainer. He was teaching me all these things where I would plateau once in a while. Like I plateaued on my bench press, so he was like, "We're going to do push-ups," and that kind of helped me break through the plateau. Well, one day I was plateaued on pull-ups, and um, I'm like, "Hey, man, like, how do I do more pull-ups?" And uh, yeah, I can't do I can't do one pull-up. Yeah, he he's not a very philosophical guy. He's a trainer. He's a great trainer but he thought about it for a second and he goes, if you want to do more pull-ups, do more pull-ups. <laughs> I thought to myself, wow, that's actually very profound. Sometimes- it's like a Yogi bearer kind yeah, of. Yeah, <laughs> if you want to get better at something, just do more of it. So people come to you, they're like, James, how do I write like you? How do I write better blogs? It's like, you write more. Pick up the pencil and write more and you won't be good tomorrow or the day after, but you will be good over time. Right, so,
0: so there's kind of this idea they want to be better, in order to be better, it's repetition. And then you need someone like a trainer or a coach or whatever. You're paying for value. Someone to tell you when it's not working yeah. and why. Yeah. You need someone to analyze what you're doing.
1: Yes. This is uh,
0: this idea. And this of... could work in business, negotiation. This is why you were talking with your friends in the cafeteria after interviews. Bingo. Like you need to have some accountability.
1: Yeah. You can't do it on your own. And so- It doesn't mean you have to hire a $100 an hour trainer at first. There's a ton of books. There's a ton of information out there. And so when people say, you know, the most common thing is I don't have time. I don't have time to get fit or to start a business or whatever. Um, The second thing is I don't have an idea. Those are super common for starting a business. So to me, the answer is, okay, how do I find out how to better manage my time? That's uh, instead of saying I don't have time as if it's part of your character. Instead, being a little self-reflective and saying, all right, I, these other people seem to be able to do it. They have the same 24 hours. What are they doing that I'm not? And then I would go and start reading about productivity, Da 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 da. That's how I kind of learned to better manage my time. Um, same thing with I don't have a business idea. So I'd go out and Google, find a business idea. And I would start going through this stuff. I would know that most of it is not going to work for me, but one of them is going to be great. It's mm-hmm. kind of like eating at a buffet. Most of the stuff's not good for you, but one of those things is going to be the perfect thing for what you want to eat today. Right, and again, it's this idea of hustling. So doing...
0: Not that you're going to do so much during a day, but at least making sure you've you've done the preparation, like you said, the sleep, the eating early the night before, whatever preparation a person needs. Doing that so you're ready to kind of say, okay, now I'm going to um, analyze all these different ways to find a business idea. That's my hustling for today. So kind of having like, not that you should be doing all these things every single day. But if you're going to hustle and try to build a business or try to find success or be a better writer or be a better whatever, you kind of have to be ready to, to put
1: in the work. Yeah. Can we just talk about sleep for a second? Because it has been driving me crazy. So like every single person, especially online, they complain about their sleep. Oh, I'm so, there's two things people online love to complain about. Number one, I don't sleep well. And number two, I think I have social anxiety. This is like every single person on Reddit. Social anxiety, I feel like, is almost like, uh, it's almost
0: like pornography. <laughs> like, everyone wants to say, oh, I'm uh, an introvert. Yes! You know? There's like
1: introvert porn. It's like, listen, y- exactly. <laughs> oh, I might have Asperger's. That's the worst. I have Asperger's porn. Alright, I, I, I'm not gonna get into this too much because I could spend three hours on how everybody <laughs> thinks they have social anxiety now. But, uh, l- let's talk about sleep. This drives me nuts. So, People are like, oh, I, I wish I could sleep better. I'm so jealous that you can go to sleep and you wake up early, blah, 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 as if it's a character issue. I'll tell you two things. Everybody's doing the same two things. One, they drink caffeine really late in the day. And two, they use their computer at night. This is one of those things that's absolutely amazing to me because everybody thinks they're a special snowflake, but they're all doing the same things. It's just like money. Everybody thinks, oh, I have this situ- special situation and that. And it's like, dude, automate your money set your investments to go and your debt will be paid off automatically and you will have a lot of money. It's, it's straightforward. It's not magic, it's math. And I look at these areas of life like fitness, sleep. These are areas that are really interesting to us because uh, number one, the solutions are seemingly simple, but most people approach them tactically. And instead, if you look at it psychologically, you start to ask yourself like, hey, all these people who have trouble sleeping, why don't they stop drinking coffee at, you know, noon? Why do they take their computer into their bedroom and then complain about staying up till 2 a.m. browsing Reddit? I don't need to give them a tip. They already know what they should do, but there's a psychological reason why they're not.
0: So, okay, it's almost like they should do the, I mean, you're right. Everybody knows what they're doing wrong. So people should, so, look, and I, I'm not saying I'm doing everything right either. Me like either. Like, I try to do this as well. Like, I try to think about and make a list of what are the things I'm doing wrong? It's easier to do that than what are the things I'm doing right? Because I don't always know what I'm doing right, but I definitely know what I'm doing wrong. Like, like what? Well, like like when I don't sleep enough, it's it's true. My performance goes way down. Yeah. So, or if I'm having problems in my relationships, like emotional problems or whatever, my productivity goes way down and, my, and the output get, is worse. Uh, if I'm not, you know, Consistently grateful for what I have in my life, then I start to turn cynical or negative, or or even worse, anxious or fearful. Um, so that's just consistent. So I know when those things are happening, and I know what creates those things. So so avoiding them is possible. I don't always know what I'm doing right, uh, but
1: I definitely know what I'm doing wrong. That's interesting. You don't know what you're doing right. It's kind of funny that somehow in this time and place, we spend so much time talking about what we're doing wrong and self-diagnosing ourselves and feeling. Just weird and comparing myself to someone on Instagram. I, I think to myself, like, when was the last time somebody actually said, "I'm really proud of X"? Yeah, that's a good point. It, it, I think for a lot of people, it's been years and years because it's sort of politically incorrect to say, "Thank you, I'm proud of X," and instead we talk you're about right, all, you're all the Gave me all these ideas
0: have. for blog posts. Actually, <laughs> I'm going to steal all these ideas. But that's a good point. So, what are you proud of?
1: Um, I'm proud of consistently writing for 11 years. I'm proud of always pushing the limit and not, I could have just been writing about personal finance for 11 years. I'm proud of pushing into different areas and I'm most proud of, um, the relationships that I have, including personal relationships and the team, the team that we've built, which is, um, growing and growing and it's fully remote. So everyone's around the world, around the country, that's not easy. That's um, like, it shouldn't be that way. I should be honestly, you know, this uh, as an Indian guy I should be sitting here wearing a huge Cisco shirt and uh, being a network engineer somewhere in Sunnyvale, but I'm not. And that, you know, I'm proud of that.
0: So, so given that your business is such a machine right now, it sounds like, and I've been seeing the results of it, um, what are the problems you confront right now? I feel like your business has hit like a new level even in the past, you know, few years. So what, 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 what are the challenges at that next level?
1: Um, the biggest challenge is, uh, people and it's making sure like you have a team. Basically most of the problems are not like technology problems or things like that. It's working Make sure you have the right team. That means sometimes firing people. I think that is actually the most, like when I
0: make angel investments, yeah. it always boils down to the people. It
1: is. I mean, you know, they say, what keeps you up at night? I didn't used to understand that. I took it literal. I guess I'm I'm kind of like a, sometimes too literal of a person. I was like, what do you mean? I sleep fine. It's like when my friends used to ask me like, what What are you afraid of? Um, And I'm like, nothing what are you talking about like my heart doesn't beat fast and i'm not afraid of some animal chasing me and eating me i thought that fear was this physiological visceral thing but fear manifests in a lot of other ways fear can be um i'm too nervous about stepping out onto that ledge and trying a new thing it can be i'm afraid of being spontaneous cuz i'll look stupid like i was afraid i am afraid still of a lot of different things but i just took it so literally that fear meant my heart was beating faster Actually, for me, and I think for a lot of people, fear is up here in your head. It's more cerebral. It holds you back from the things that you claim you want to do. So anyway, biggest challenges, people. Um, There's some unexpected challenges I have now at this level that I didn't expect. Um, As a business gets bigger, you can't keep doing the same things you were doing, both strategically and tactically. Like if you want to move the needle, Microsoft doesn't even look at a business that's not going to generate, you know, a billion dollars. It's just not interesting to me. Now, we're not Microsoft, but the same principle applies. Something that we would have been enthusiastic or overjoyed to have happen three years ago is sort of irrelevant to us. It's a failure now. And so to keep pushing, expanding, but also staying true, that's really hard. And then to keep the team engaged on that as well. um, I mean, look, it's easy to just do what you know how to do. Like if that were the case, we would just create more video courses. We know how to do it really well, and we would sell them, and we would all be doing really well. But I'm—I told the team if we still generate X percent of our revenue from video courses in three years, we have failed.
0: Well, what? Um, so what's the latest thing that you're launching? What are you? What are you focused on? What's the next level?
1: The next level for us is one. We are. We launched a site called growthlab.com. And that's all about online business. So everything from finding an idea, copywriting, conversion, monetization, and testing, all those things. We've been working on this for 11 years. We know how to do it. And we want to help people. A lot of people just want to start an online business, generate a couple thousand bucks a month, you know, even while they sleep. Some people want to actually grow to $100,000 a month, a million dollars a month. And we can show them the intricacies of what happens at all stages as they grow. That's pretty cool. That's pretty exciting. You know, I I like to learn from people who have been there and can show you, you know, a roadmap. The other thing is we keep making long-term investments. As, you know, I used to be 127 pounds. Um, Skinny dude, I'm uh, 5'11", 5'11 and a half. And I, I started learning about fitness many years ago and put on some muscle and got a trainer and all that stuff. I'm really interested in fitness. I'm really interested in um, helping people change their bodies. Most people want to lose weight. Some people want to gain muscle. Um, that has been something we've been you know, exploring and testing and trying stuff with. So I think that for us, it's all about different parts of a rich life. It's not just money. Money, I mean, we haven't even talked about personal finance in years. It's finding a dream job. It's starting a business at growthlab.com. It's um, your psychology productivity, those are things we're all interested in.
0: Well, um, Ramit, thanks so much for once again joining my podcast. Two years later,
1: uh, you know, how was it? How was this interview? Oh, love it. I mean, first of all, I'm honored to be back. That's a really high praise that you invited me back. And to do this sitting across the table from you is a whole different dynamic.
0: Yeah, because last time we did it via yeah. Skype. This is awesome. I think anybody doing podcasts, by the way, should just do it in person or, or just don't do it at all.
1: It's so good. Um, James, thanks for having me. I love your readers. Um, I love your podcasts. And uh, it's, uh, I mean, to be able to share some stuff I've learned and just talk to you, we always have a great time. Yeah, thanks. Thank you. For more from James, check out The James Altucher Show on the Stansberry Radio Network at stansberryradio.com. And get yourself on the free insiders list today.